tonight we are going to be talking about eternal progression and progressing from one kingdom to the next. And we're going to largely use DNC 76 to talk about this subject. Um, first, let's start with a quote. Okay. First quote is by Joseph Smith. He says, in the words of Joseph Smith, page 366, he says, I advise all to go on to perfection and search deeper and deeper into the mysteries of godliness. Now, at first glance, we could just read that real quickly and think, oh, that's a nice thing. That's a nice thing to say. But think about what he says. He says, I advise all to go on to perfection. Okay, who was the only perfect being that has ever lived on the face of the earth? That would be Jesus Christ. So he advises us. He says, go on and be and become like Jesus Christ. I advise all to go on to perfection and search deeper and deeper into the mysteries of godliness. So in other words, how did God become God? Joseph Smith is inviting us and advising us to figure out how that happened. What is that way? How do we discover the mysteries of godliness? And the only way that that's possible, what the mysteries are, are items of revelation that only can be discovered by revelation. God is the one who has to tell us what the mysteries are. That is the way we discover the mysteries of godliness, and that's through revelation. Let's start out with a scripture. First scripture in Alma 31, verse 1. And this is Alma, and he has just contended with Korahor, and he is now uh, moving, he's moving on, and he is teaching the Zoramites. Alma 31, verse 1. Now it came to pass that after the end of Korahor, Alma having received tidings that the Zoramites were perverting the ways of the Lord, and that Zoram, who was their leader, was leading the hearts of the people to bow down to dumb idols. His heart again began to sicken because of the iniquity of the people. Now, what's going on here is you've got a group of people who, instead of following the Lord, they're following a man. Now, this is not unlike what was going on in, in the early days of the saints after the Josephs, after after the death of Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith was martyred, and you had all of these breakoffs of in, into these different sects. And you had the Rigdonites, you had the Whiteites, you had the Whitmerites, you had the Brighamites, you had the Temple Lot Church, who, as far as I can tell, uh, that group of people was entirely dedicated to that small parcel of land uh, in Missouri, the Temple Lot. Um, that that kind of became their idol. Um, so again, in Alma, you've got these people, this group of people that are following this man, Zoram. And let's go on. Let's go to Alma 34, 30 through 33. And let's see what happened with these Zoramites. And one of Alma's main goals with the Zoramites was to persuade them to stop following a man and follow Jesus Christ. Okay, let's go to Alma again, Alma 34, verses 30 through 33. And now, my brethren, Alma speaking, I would that after ye have received so many witnesses, so many witnesses of Jesus Christ, seeing that the Holy Scriptures testify of these things, ye come forth and bring fruit unto repentance. Yea, 
I would that ye would come forth and harden not your hearts any longer. For behold, and this is key right here, now, now is the time and the day of your salvation. And therefore, if ye will repent and harden not your hearts, immediately shall the great plan of redemption be brought brought about unto you. For behold, this is key right here, so key. For behold, this life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life. Now, that's interesting that he compares this life to a day. Think about us being in the last days. Yea, behold, the day of this life is the day for men to perform their labors. And now, as I said unto you before, as ye have had so many witnesses, therefore, I beseech of you that ye do not procrastinate the day of your repentance until the end. For after this day of life, which is given us to prepare for eternity, behold, if we do not improve our time while in this life, then cometh the night of darkness, wherein there can be no labor performed. So wherein no labor can be performed. Now, what that means that when is the time when we need to discover the mysteries of godliness? Okay, it is not in the next life. I can't tell you how many people I talk to and I will bring up a subject that they don't quite understand and that they have questions about. And they say, well, I don't understand that. I'm just going to wait until the next life and that will all be figured out in the next life. Well, that's that's not what Alma is saying here. If if people are saying that, or if if we know someone that's saying that, or if we ourselves are saying that, I've been guilty of that myself. Well, I'll just figure it out later. We are resting the scriptures. We are changing the scriptures to meet our own needs. When in reality, that's not what the scriptures are saying. The scriptures are saying, Alma is saying, it's not the next life, it's now. If you have questions, and if you have things that need to be figured out, you need to do that now. Now is the time. Um, let's go on to another quote by Joseph Smith regarding the mysteries. Joseph Smith says, many men will say, I will never forsake you, but will stand by you at all times. But the moment you teach them some of the mysteries of the kingdom of God that are retained in the heavens and are to be revealed to the children of men when they are prepared for them, they will be the first to stone you and put you to death. It was this same principle that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ and will cause the people to kill the prophets in this generation. Would to God, brethren, I could tell you who I am. Would to God, I could tell you what I know, but you would call it blasphemy. And there are men upon this stand who would want to take my life. Now, as we go through DNC 76 tonight, I would ask you to take it to the Lord and ask him. Now, this will be largely introductory, what, what we say, and we won't be going through all of DNC 76, but uh, we'll, we'll do some other sessions on DNC 76. But if you hear something that, that comes in, in contrast with your traditions, take it to the Lord and ask him. Now, I was... I was teaching a gospel essentials class in, in the LDS church. I was the warden mission leader. And I was, we taught the gospel essentials class out of that book, Gospel Principles. 
And I was given a lesson to teach, and it was on DNC 76. It was on the three kingdoms, celestial, terrestrial, and celestial. And a, a question came up from a member of the class. And they asked, well, once you're judged to one of these three kingdoms, is it possible to progress within or, or is it possible to progress out of that kingdom from celestial to terrestrial to celestial? And there is a quote by James Talmadge um, that gives a reasonable response to that question. And he says, this, this is in the book Articles of Faith, the first edition. He says, it is reasonable to believe in the absence of direct revelation by which alone absolute knowledge of the matter could be acquired, that in accordance with God's plan of eternal progression, advancement from grade to grade within any kingdom and from kingdom to kingdom will be provided for. But if the recipients of a lower glory be enabled to advance, surely the intelligences of higher rank will not be stopped in their progress. Progress. And thus we may conclude that degrees and grades will ever characterize the kingdoms of our God. Eternity is progressive. Perfection is relative. The essential feature of God's living purpose is, is, is its associated power of eternal increase. That's really pretty good insight from, from Brother Talmadge. And I would agree with almost everything he said there. The only disagreement I would have with him, the only, the only thing I would disagree with him on, is that I feel that we do have direct revelation on the matter, and that is DNC 76. So having said that, let's start, let's start going through DNC 76. DNC 76. The Lord sets the scene to reveal something very great to Joseph here. Now, this is a, this is a vision between Joseph and Sidney Rigdon. DNC 76, verse 1. Let's start it out. Hear, O ye heavens, and give ear. This is the Lord speaking. O earth, and rejoice ye inhabitants thereof, for the Lord is God, and beside him there is no Savior. Now the Lord, he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and, and I would 100% agree with that. There is no other way to get back to Father except through Jesus Christ. Verse 2, great is his wisdom, marvelous are his ways, and the, and the extent of his doings none can find out. His purposes fail not, neither are there any who can stay his hand. Now, let's take a minute and look at verse 3. Um, the way he accomplishes his work, it is not by him coming down here and individually converting people. There are some things that only Christ can do, and one of those being the atonement. There is none other that could have performed that act because there is none other that was perfect like him. He had no character flaws. Thus, when Satan came to tempt him, there was no Achilles heel. So one of the things that only he was able to do was the atonement. Uh, he is also the keeper at the gate. That is another one of his callings. He is also the Holy Spirit of promise. Um, and this is not a lesson about the callings and the roles of Jesus Christ. Um, but just those are just a few of the things that he does that others cannot do. Otherwise, again, verse three, his purposes fail not. Neither are there any who can stay his hand. Well, what does that mean? His hand. Now, he is the king 
he's not only the king, but he is the king of kings. And a king has a hand. And these are this is a real position of authority amongst the kings and kingdoms of the earth and in heaven. And other names, well, for example, think about the president of even the president of the United States has a right-hand man. And we don't we don't call him his right hand. He is the chief of staff of the president of the United States, but that is the right-hand man of the president. Other names, um, Lord Chancellor of the Realm, Chief Minister of the King, uh, the Grand Vizier, if you remember that. Uh, and a lot, of these, a lot of these roles you'll see played out in popular culture, in movies, and in fairy tales, and in stories that are retold and retold again and again. Uh, one of those, if you remember the story of Aladdin, um, he had... There was there was Aladdin and then there was the Sultan and then there was Jafar and Jafar was the vizier of the Sultan. He was the the king's right hand man. He was the Sultan's right hand man. And now, why are we talking about the hand of the king? Why does the Lord bring up none who can stay his hand in verse three and. I believe after pondering this, my thoughts are that later on we are going to talk about and we're going to read about in DNC 76 what happens to a man who becomes corrupt. Or in other words, how did Lucifer become Satan? He we're going to read that he was Lucifer was a very very advanced angel, he was a highly ascended being and he was in Jesus Christ's realm and served Jesus Christ, and then he was corrupted. So I believe we're talking about the hand here because we need to know that Jesus Christ has servants and that sometimes these servants can become corrupted. Um, a, hand, a hand is given great power and authority. So what happens if the hand of the king uses that power to lift himself up instead of lifting, instead of advancing the king, Jesus Christ, in his kingdom. We'll talk about that as we get further into 76. Um, but again, let's talk, let's talk, let's understand this, this hand, this concept of a king's hand. And let's go to Acts 7, verses 20 through 25. And to kind of set the stage here, this is what, this is Stephen, and he's been brought before a tribunal. And he begins to tell this tribunal of these of of these pharisaical type of people, uh, he begins to tell them the story, and he tells them the story of the Israelite oppression, probably to try and convince them that they are no different than the Egyptians who were oppressing the Israelites. Okay, so Acts seven twenty through twenty five. Verse 20, in which time Moses was born. Now, this time that it's talking about is the time when Pharaoh uh, issued a, an edict to genocide all of, all of the babies of the Israelites. In which time Moses was born and was exceedingly fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. Remember, she is, sent him down the river and Pharaoh's, you guys know the story, nourished him up for her own son. And Moses was learned, 
learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So Moses was something special in, in Pharaoh's house. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. So he decided to leave the safety and the solitude of the, Egypt, the Egyptian palace where Pharaoh lived. And he decided to venture out among the children of Israel, the Israelites who were enslaved by the Egyptians. Now, Moses, up until this point, I can imagine that he did not see a problem. He didn't, he, his eyes were not opened to what was really going on in Egypt. He had been a coddled young man who had lived his whole life in a life of luxury and lavishness in Pharaoh's palace. Okay, verse 24. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he, that's Moses, defended him, the one who had suffered wrong, and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed, Moses, for he supposed his brethren, those are the Israelites, for Moses supposed the Israelites would have understood how that God, by his hand, that's Moses, would deliver them. But they, the Israelites, understood not. So in other words, the Israelites, they didn't understand that there was going to be a servant come down from heaven who is Moses and deliver them. So who is the hand? Um, who is the hand now? Moses was the hand then. We read that in verse 25. Who is the hand now? Let's go to DNC 28 verses 1 and 2. Behold, I say unto thee, Oliver, that it shall be given unto thee that thou shalt be heard by the church in all things whatsoever thou shalt teach them by the Comforter, that's the Holy Ghost, concerning the revelations and commandments which I have given. But behold, verily, verily, I say unto thee, no one shall be appointed to, re appointed to receive commandments and revelations in this church except my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., for he received them even as Moses. So here we see that Moses and Joseph Smith have the same calling. Joseph Smith over and over is referred to in Isaiah as the hand of the king, the, the outstretched arm. He's referred to as the Davidic servant. He's referred to as the one mighty and strong. He's referred to as the marred servant, uh, the right hand of the Lord sometimes just the hand of the Lord. But so, so we've got Moses and Joseph Smith who are the hands of the king. And they essentially have the exact same calling. And a hand follows the king's orders completely. So what happens, we're going to explore later on, what happens when the hand of the king becomes corrupted? Now, DNC 76, back to DNC 76, verse 3. His purposes fail not, that's Jesus Christ, neither are there any who can stay his hand. From eternity to eternity, he is the same, and his years never fail, so the Lord never dies. For Verse 5, for thus saith the Lord, I, the Lord, am merciful and gracious unto those who fear me, and delight to honor those who serve me in righteousness and in truth unto the end. Great shall be their reward, and eternal shall be their glory. Now. What reward is that? 
the Lord, remember, the Lord is setting up a vision here. He's setting up, he's he's introducing this vision to Joseph and Sidney Rigdon. And so with this language that he's using, he's setting up what he said, you know, great shall be their reward and eternal shall be their glory. Well, he's saying, I'm about to show you what reward you have. And I'm about to show you the glory that will be your reward if you enter into covenant with me. Verse seven, and to them, them being referring back to verse five, those who fear me and to them will I reveal all mysteries. Again, mysteries are received by revelation. In other words, I will communicate with them personally. To them I will reveal all mysteries, yea, all the hidden mysteries of my kingdom from days of old. And for ages to come will I make known unto them. Who is them? Again, that's verse 5, those who fear the Lord. For ages to come will I make known unto them the good pleasure of my will concerning all things pertaining to my kingdom. Um, let's look at that. The good pleasure of my will. What is the will of the Lord? Well, that is the will that he has for his children to return to him. And when we make our will his will, we enter into the new and everlasting covenant. We come to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And we say, Lord, I want to make my will your will. And I promise that I will do that. I don't care how hard it is. And I don't care what you ask me to do, but I will do that. Verse 8, yea, even the wonders of eternity shall they know, and things to come will I show them, even the things of many generations, okay? What is he talking about there? What are the things of many generations? Okay, well, let's go to Alma 45, verses 9 through 14, to try and understand what these things of many generations are. And uh, this is Alma speaking to his son. He says in verse nine, but behold, I have somewhat to prophesy unto thee. This is Helaman. But what But what I prophesy unto thee, ye shall not make known. Yea, what I prophesy unto thee shall not be made known even until the prophecy is fulfilled. Therefore, write the words which I shall say. Okay, again, we're, explore, we're gonna explore here what the Lord says when he says that he will make known the things of many generations. Again, Alma talking to Helaman, verse 10. And these are the words. Now he's telling Helaman, his son, a prophecy. Behold, I perceive that this very people, the Nephites, according to the spirit of revelation, which is in me, in 400 years from the time that Jesus Christ shall manifest himself unto them, shall dwindle in unbelief, yea, and then shall they see wars and pestilences, yea, famines and bloodshed, even until the people of Nephi shall become extinct, yea, and this because they shall dwindle in unbelief and fall into the works of darkness and lasciviousness and all manner of iniquities, yea, I say unto you that because they shall sin against so great light and knowledge, yea, I say unto you, that from that day, even the fourth generation, there's that word, shall not pass away before this great iniquity shall come. And when that day cometh, behold, the very the time very soon cometh that those who are now 
or the seed of those who are now numbered among the people of Nephi shall no more be be numbered among the people of Nephi. But whosoever remaineth and is not destroyed in that great and dreadful day shall be numbered among the Lamanites. That's the remnant. And shall become like unto them all, save it be a few who shall be called the disciples of the Lord. And then shall the Lamanites pursue even in t- pursue even until they shall become extinct. And now, because of iniquity, this prophecy shall, shall be fulfilled. So, verse 8, one more time in DNC 76. Yea, even the wonders of eternity shall they know, and things to come will I show them, even the things of many generations. Does not, does not this exact thing happen to Alma here? He is shown what will happen many generations to his people down the road. Okay. DNC verse 70, DNC 76, verse 9. And their wisdom, again, they're referring back to those who, fe- who fear the Lord. And their wisdom shall be great, and their understanding reach to heaven. And before them, the wisdom of the wise shall perish. And the understanding of the prudent shall come to naught. Um, so we're talking about here, we are talking about learned men of the world. And the Lord is saying that 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 they that they do not have his wisdom and his knowledge. Now, think about Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith had no letters behind his name. He didn't have a doctor. He didn't have DDS. He didn't have MD. He didn't have PhD. There was nothing behind his name. And that's what the Lord is saying here. And before them, the wisdom of the wise, in verse 9, the wisdom of the wise shall perish and the understanding of the prudent shall come to naught. Joseph Smith was a, was a kid who harvested maple syrup and chopped wood and farmed. Uh, there was no, no intelligence, no wisdom of the world in, in him at all. Verse 10, for by my spirit will I enlighten them, that's the unlearned, and by my power will I make known unto them the secrets of my will. Now remember, Joseph, this is all, he's saying this to Joseph, an unlearned man, a man who didn't have a third grade education, a man who, 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 who was, he was not lawyerly in any way. Yea, even those things which I has not, which I has not seen nor ear heard, nor yet entered into the heart of man. Okay, that was kind of jumbled. Let's read verse 10 one more time. One more time. For by my spirit will I enlighten them, the unlearned, and by my power will I make known unto them the secrets of my will. Yea, even those things which eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor yet entered into the heart of man. Okay. Now we have a transition coming in verse 11. Um, the Lord jo- the Lord has been speaking thus far, and now we transition to Joseph and Sidney Rigdon speaking. He says in verse 11, we, Joseph Smith Jr. and Sidney Rigdon, being in the spirit on the 16th day of February in the year of our Lord, 1,832. Now, what does that mean, being in the spirit? Well, he's going to tell us, verse 12, by the power of the spirit, our eyes were opened and our understandings were enlightened so as to see and understand the things of God. So, He gives us a little more, but he still doesn't give us the whole thing. What does that mean to be in the spirit and to have your eyes opened by the spirit? Verse 13, even those things which were from the beginning before the world was, which were ordained of the father through his only begotten son, who was in the bosom of the father, even from the beginning. 
of whom we bear record. And the record which we bear is the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the son whom we saw and with whom we conversed in the heavenly vision. Now, so they were there face to face with Jesus Christ, which we, verse 14, of whom we bear record. Yes, he lives. And the record which we bear is the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the son. In other words, they came into the presence in the, of the son in the fullness of his glory, whom we saw and who, with whom we conversed in the heavenly vision. For while we were doing the, doing the work of translation, which the Lord had appointed unto us, we came to the 29th verse of the fifth chapter of John, which was given unto us as follows. Speaking of the resurrection of the dead, concerning those who shall hear the voice of the Son of Man. Now, who hears, let's look at that. Who hears the voice of the Son of Man? It's those who follow him. It's those who, this is new covenant language here. This is new and everlasting covenant that, that, that they're talking about here. Who is it that hears the voice of the Son of Man? It's those who receive revelation from him. And how do we receive revelation? We go to him in prayer and we say, Lord, I enter into covenant with you. I desire for you to reveal your commandments to me. Please tell me what you want me to do. And I will do that. That is how we hear his voice. That is how in verse 16, speaking of the resurrection of the dead, concerning those who shall hear the voice of the son of man. Okay. We're talking about people who enter into covenant. Verse 17. And shall come forth. They who have done good in the resurrection of the just. So that just defines who comes forth in the resurrection of the just and who is just. Well, Jesus Christ is just. He is the, he is the one who is just and true. And we'll get into, we'll get into that phrase later and shall come forth. They who have done good in the resurrection of the just, or in other words, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is that? Those are people who enter into covenant with him. Verse 16 concerning those who shall hear the voice of the son of man. Those are the only ones that come forth in the resurrection of the just. Now, who does not come forth in the resurrection of the just? Verse 17, let's start over. And shall come forth they who have done good in the resurrection of the just, and they who have done evil in the resurrection of the unjust. Um, so we've talked about who comes forth in the resurrection of the just. Those are they who hear his voice. Let's talk about those who come forth in the resurrection of the unjust. Um, the bulk of DNC 76 is about ascension. It is about entering into covenant with Jesus Christ and, and first being hearing his voice, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, receiving the second comforter, having the priesthood sealed upon you, and, and on and on and on. Up the great ladder of ascension we go. Uh, back to the resurrection of the unjust. Let's go to Alma chapter 12, verses 8 through 15. This is Alma and Amulek preaching to the people of Ammonihah, who were a very, very hardened people. In fact, in Alma 16, they were their hearts were so hard that they were completely destroyed. Their entire city was sacked by the Lamanites. Alma 12, 8 through 15, Zezram speaking to Alma, and Zezram has been chastised and his heart is beginning to soften and alma speaks to him about 
the resurrection of the unjust. Let's read it here. Alma 12, 8 through 15. And Zeezrom began to inquire of them diligently. Diligently. He wants to know. He has a desire. This man whose heart was so hard and, and impenetrable, okay, a lawyer amongst, amongst the people, he now wants to know. He wants to know what they're talking about. He's not just casting them out and rejecting them. And Zeezrom began to inquire of them, Alma and Amulek, diligently, that he might know more concerning the kingdom of God. He truly has a desire to learn more. And he said unto Alma, what does this mean, which Amulek hath spoken concerning the resurrection of the dead, that all shall rise from the dead, both the just and the unjust? There's that word and are brought to stand before God to be judged according to their works. And now Alma began to expound these things unto him, saying, It is given unto many to know the mysteries of God. So, in other words, Yezrim, I like the questions that you're asking, okay? It is given unto many to know the mysteries of God, and I can help you understand those mysteries, but it's going to require some work on your part. Okay, verse 9. Let's start over. And now Alma began to expound these things unto him, saying, It is given unto many to know the mysteries of God. Nevertheless, they are laid under strict command that they shall not impart only according to the portion of his word, which he doth grant unto the children of men, according to the heed and diligence which they give unto him. In other words, I do know the answer, Zizram, but I'm laid under a strict command that I can't tell you everything. But here's what I can tell you. Okay, verse 10. And therefore, he that will harden his heart, the same receiveth the lesser portion of the word. You, Zizram, before this moment right now, you were, you were posed and ready to receive the lesser portion of the word. Therefore, he that will harden his heart, the same receiveth the lesser portion of the word. And he that will not harden his heart, to him is given the greater portion of the word. Until it is given unto him to know the mysteries of God, until he know them in full. And they that will harden their hearts to them is given the lesser portion of the word until they know nothing concerning his mysteries. And then they are taken captive by the devil and led by his will down to destruction. Now, this is what is meant by the chains of hell. Now, Zeezrom is at a, is at a fork in the road and almost like keep going down the right fork. Okay. You don't want to be one of these people who is chained down by the chains of hell. Keep going. Verse 12, And Amulek hath spoken plainly concerning death and being raised from this mortality to a state of immortality and being brought before the bar of God to be judged according to our works. Then if our hearts have been hardened, yea, if we have hardened our hearts against the word, who is the word? The word is Jesus Christ. Insomuch, that it has not been found in us, then will our state be awful, for then we shall be condemned. Verse 14, for our words will condemn us, yea, our works will condemn us. We shall not be found spotless, and our thoughts will also condemn us. Everything condemns us. And in this awful state, we shall not dare to look up to our God. And we would fain be glad if we could command the rocks and the mountains to fall upon us to hide us from his presence. But this cannot be. We must come forth and stand before him in glory and in his power and in his might, majesty and dominion, and acknowledge to our everlasting shame 
everlasting is godly shame, that all his judgments are just, that he is just, okay? We find out who is just, that is Jesus Christ. He, Jesus Christ, is just in all his works and that he is merciful unto the children of men and that he has all power to save every man that believeth on his name and bringeth forth fruit, meat for repentance. So, in other words, back to DNC, DNC 76, verse 17, and shall come forth they who have done good in the resurrection of the just, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they who have done evil in the resurrection of the unjust. In other words, you are resurrected and you are delivered up to Satan. He, you become his prisoner, the resurrection of the unjust. Back to DNC 76. DNC 76, verse 18. Now, this caused us to marvel. This is Joseph and Sidney Rigdon again. This caused us to marvel, for it was given unto us of the Spirit. In other words, they saw it. And while we meditated upon these things, the Lord touched the eyes of our understandings, and they were opened, and the glory of the Lord shone round about. And we beheld the glory of the Son on the right hand of the Father, and received of his fullness. This is not just any vision this, that they are having. This is a second comforter experience. This is an intimate experience with Jesus Christ. We beheld the glory of the Son on the right hand of the Father and received of his fullness. They were taken to what Isaiah calls the seventh heaven and entered into the fullness of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, and saw the holy angels and them who are sanctified before his throne. Sanctified, in other words, they have received the baptism of fire, gift of the Holy Ghost. They are in the presence of God. And saw the holy angels and them who are sanctified before his throne, worshiping God and the Lamb who worship him forever and ever. And now, after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony last of all, which we give of him, that he lives. How would they know that? Their testimony is not, I believe he lives. It is that I know he lives. They know he lives because they have seen him in all of his glory, in his fullness. They have felt the marks in his hands and in his feet. They have been there with him and witnessed him in his glory with all of his angels. We saw, Verse 23 again, we saw him even on the right hand of God, and we heard the voice bearing record that he is the only begotten of the Father, that by him and through him and of him the worlds are and were created, and the inhabitants thereof are begotten sons and daughters unto God. Now, this is not unlike the vision, not the vision, the experience that Moses had in Moses 1, where he is taken up to the high mountain, just as Neph, what happened to Nephi in First Nephi 11, where he was taken up to the high mountain and he met and had an intimate experience with, with Jesus Christ. That is what they are going through. Now, moving on to verse 25, we, they, they are introduced to Jesus Christ, and then he begins to show them a vision. He begins to show them things in that seventh heaven on the high mountain. We, we start to get into what Sidney and Joseph actually saw. And he, they start 
it's interesting that the Lord starts by showing them how he starts by showing them perdition. He starts by showing them how Lucifer fell to become Satan. Now, this is where we we get into talking about the hand of the king, a servant who then becomes corrupted. Okay, DNC 76, verse 25. And this we saw also, and bear record. Again, they've just testified that they have been in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that and I don't know how I don't nothing can eclipse that, nothing can top that. And so it's almost as if it's kind of a side note in verse 25. And this we saw also, and bear record that an angel of God who was in authority in the presence of God. Okay, we're going to stop there. And we are going to kind of analyze and look at what an angel of God really does. And we're going to do that by, there's there's very prominent sections in the Book of Mormon where angel, angels are feature, featured very prominently. We're going to look at a couple of those. What is the mission of an angel? Now, we're talking about Lucifer here. And we're talking about what kinds of things Lucifer did in order to become an the angel of God that he was. So starting off, again, examining the mission of an angel, let's look at Alma chapter 38, verses 5 through 7. And this is Alma, again, speaking to his son, Shiblon. Um, Alma 38, 5 through 7, the mission of an angel. Alma had... Alma the Younger, having had a very intimate and personal experience with an angel on multiple, occasion, multiple occasions. Verse 5, And now, my son Shiblon, I would that ye should remember that as much as ye shall put your trust in God, now that's new covenant language, even so much ye shall be delivered out of your trials and your troubles and your afflictions, and ye shall be lifted up at the last day. He's saying, enter into covenant with Jesus Christ and everything else, everything else will be taken care of because he has got your back and he is the only one who has got your back. He is the only one that you can trust. You can't trust a man. The only one that you can trust is God. Verse six. Now, my son, I would not that you should think that I know these things of myself. In other words, I'm not trying to lift myself up in my own pride. I don't, I'm, I'm nothing is what Alma is saying. I would that you should not think, would, I would that you should think that I know, I would not that you should think that I know these things of myself, but it is the spirit of God, which is in me, which maketh these things known unto me. For if I had not been born of God, that's baptism of fire, gift of the Holy Ghost, I should not have known these things. But behold, the Lord in his great mercy Mercy, that's another word. That's a key word for baptism of fire, gift of the Holy Ghost. But behold, the Lord in his great mercy sent his angel to declare unto me that I must stop the work of destruction among his people. Yea, and I have seen an angel face to face, to face and he spake with me. And his voice was as thunder and it shook the whole earth. And it came to pass that I was three days and three nights in the most bitter pain and anguish of soul. And never until I did cry out unto the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy did I receive a remission of my sins. 
remission of my sins. That is baptism of fire, gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost is what purifies us. That, that sanctification comes by that baptism of the Holy Ghost. Did I receive a remission of my sins? For behold, I did cry unto him, and I did find peace to my soul. Peace is another word for gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, this angel that came to Alma was instrumental in helping Alma the younger change his ways and repent and come to Jesus Christ again. One example, one example of what an what the calling of an angel is. God sent that angel down, and that angel did what he was supposed to do with Alma the younger, and Alma the younger changed. So an angel or the hand of the Lord will always follow to a T the exact instructions that the Lord gives them. Let's go to Helaman chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. And this is just going to set up what is going on in Helaman 5. This is the chapter of the 300, the 300 Lamanites. Now, 2 through 4, this is just a setup. For as their laws and their governments were established by the voice of the people, and they who chose evil were more numerous than they who chose good, therefore they were ripening for destruction, for the laws had become corrupted. Yea, and this was not all. They were a stiff-necked people, insomuch that they could not be governed by the law nor justice, save it were to their destruction. And it came to pass that Nephi had become weary because of their iniquity, and he yieldeth up the judgment seat and took it upon him to preach the word of God all the remainder of his days, and his brother Lehi also all the remainder of his days. So this is the setup. These They are not teaching a righteous people. They are teaching a very wicked, hard-hearted people. Now, they go out and they teach. Let's go to Helaman chapter 5 and find out as a result of their teaching what happens. Helaman chapter 5, verses 42 through 49. And it came to pass that they all did begin to cry unto the voice of him who had shaken the earth. Yea, they did cry even until the cloud of darkness was dispersed. And it came to pass that when they cast their eyes round about and saw that the cloud of darkness was dispersed from overshadowing them, behold, they saw that they were, to, they, that they were encircled about, yea, every soul by a pillar of fire. So what is going on here? Well, they're receiving their baptism of fire and the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Nephi and Lehi were in the midst of them. Yea, they were encircled about, yea, they were as if in the midst of a flaming fire. Yet it did harm them not, neither did it take hold upon the walls of the prison. And they were filled with that joy which is unspeakable and full of glory. And behold, the Holy Spirit of God did come down from heaven and did enter into their hearts. They become new creatures because of this experience. They experience the mighty change of heart because of the baptism of fire and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Sorry, I get kind of excited about that. Baptism of fire and gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 45 again. And behold... The Holy Spirit of God did come down from heaven and did enter into their hearts, and they were filled as if with fire, and they could speak forth marvelous words. Who is marvelous? It's Jesus Christ. They could speak forth marvelous words, another metaphor for Jesus Christ. And it came to pass that there came a voice unto them, yea, a pleasant voice, as if it were a whisper, saying, Peace, peace be unto you, because of your faith in my well-beloved, who was from the foundation of the world. And now, when they heard this, they cast their eyes as if to behold from whence the voice came, 
and behold, they saw the heavens open and angels came down out of heaven and ministered unto them. And there were about 300 souls who saw and heard these things and they were bidden to go forth and marvel not, neither should they doubt. So there we have two examples of what angels, true angels of God are called to do. The first one having an enormous effect, a completely life-changing effect on Alma the Younger. And in the next experience, we have angels whom God commanded to come out of heaven and they ministered, these angels ministered to the 300 Lamanites who had just received their baptism of fire and the gift of the Holy Ghost. So now that we kind of have a better understanding of what truly is an angel, let's go back and understand DNC 7625 a little bit better. DNC 7625, and this we saw also and bear record that an angel of God, one who followed Jesus Christ, one who had received the baptism of fire and the gift of the Holy Ghost, not only that, but who was, says, who was in authority in the presence of God. He had received his second comforter experience, who rebelled against the only begotten son whom the father loved and who was in the bosom of the father was thrust down from the presence of God and the son. Okay. So we have this, we have this being set up what happened to Lucifer. Lucifer, Lucifer, actually loose, the word loose meaning light and, and ifer from a compound word, a Latin word, meaning bearer. So we have the light bearer. Now, who is light? It's Jesus Christ. So we have one who represented Jesus Christ, who rebelled against the only begotten son whom the father loved and who was in the bosom of the father, was thrust down from the presence of God and the son. In other words, we are beginning to get an understanding of how Lucifer fell and became Satan. Okay. He first had to ascend on the light side. Let's just read DNC 76, verse 26, and was called perdition. Now, notice how he is not called a son of perdition. He is perdition and was called perdition, for the heavens wept over him. He was Lucifer, a son of the morning. And we beheld, and lo, he is fallen, is fallen, even a son of the morning. He rebelled against Jesus Christ. And while we were yet in the spirit, the Lord commanded us that we should write the vision. And we beheld Satan. Remember, Lucifer fell. He became Satan. That old serpent, even the devil who rebelled against God and sought to take the kingdom of our God and his Christ. In other words, pride entered into Lucifer's heart. He didn't understand well, he did understand how great Jesus Christ was. He just thought that he was greater than that. When in reality, there is none greater. Verse 29, wherefore he, that's, that's Satan now, he maketh war with the saints of God. Who are the saints of God? It's those who enter into covenant with Jesus Christ, who seek his will, who seek to make their own will align with the will of Jesus Christ. Wherefore, he maketh war with the saints of God and encompass them round about. 
and we saw a vision of the sufferings of those with whom he, Satan, made war and overcame. For thus came the voice of the Lord unto us. Now, Satan draws people away to misery. Um, when, we, when, when we end talking about Satan here, we're going to talk about a different group, a different a, a group, the, the sons of perdition. We're talking about perdition. We're going to switch gears in a minute and talk about the sons of perdition. Um, verse 31. Thus saith the Lord concerning all those who know my power. Now, that's an interesting statement because um, if we do not enter into covenant with Jesus Christ, what does he say? What will he say to us at the last day? I never knew you. Now, we've just heard a vision, a second comforter experience of Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon, who both came to know Jesus Christ in the fullness of his glory. So what does that mean that we need to be seeking out? We have to be seeking out that exact same thing. If that is how we know Jesus Christ, to come into his presence, not in a future existence, but in this life, those who come to know him are those who enter into his presence and have an intimate experience with him. Thus saith the Lord concerning all those who know my power and have been partake, been made partakers thereof and suffered themselves through the power of the devil to be overcome and to deny the truth and defy my power. They are they who are the sons of perdition of whom I say that it had been better for them never to have been born. And I would add parenthetically that born there means born of the spirit or having received the baptism of fire and the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I'll tell you why I believe that. Um, it's not talking about a mortal birth. It's talking about a spiritual birth. And to understand that better, let's go to 2 Nephi chapter 31. Second Nephi chapter 31, the entire chapter is about the doctrine of Christ. And that Nephi even calls it that in the chapter, the doctrine of Christ. And Christ in 3 Nephi 11 calls it his doctrine. 2 Nephi 31 and 3 Nephi 11 both teach the exact same thing. 2 Nephi 31, 13 and 14, Nephi speaking here. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I know that if ye shall follow the Son, Jesus Christ, with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, but with real intent, repenting of your sins, witnessing unto the Father that ye are willing to take upon you the name of Christ by baptism, yea, by following your Lord and Savior down into the water, that's first step, according to his word, behold, then shall ye receive the Holy Ghost, yea, then cometh the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. And then can ye speak with the tongue of angels and shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel. Now remember Helaman 5, what did the baptism of fire look like for the 300? Well, they were encircled about with fire and angels came down from heaven and ministered unto them. So why should we expect anything less than that to have an intimate experience with angels of God and be shown his might and his power? Now, in verse 14, we are going to learn about, we're going to learn about what happens to those who receive that, 
who come to understand the power and the glory of God and then rebel against it. Second Nephi 31 verse 14. But behold, my beloved brethren, thus came, the, thus came the voice of the Son unto me, saying, After ye have repented of your sins and witnessed unto the Father that ye are willing to keep my commandments, in other words, you enter into covenant with him by the baptism of water and have received the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost and can speak with a new tongue, yea, even with the tongue of angels, and after this should deny me, it would have been better for you that ye had not known me. Now, think of what, again, the word no means in context with Sidney's and Joseph's vision here. It is more than simply being baptized with water and having a warm feeling in your heart. Um, let's go back to DNC 76. DNC 76. Let's start in verse 33. For they, this is speaking of sons of perdition. For they are vessels of wrath, doomed to suffer the wrath of God with the devil and his angels in eternity. In other words, you are delivered up to Satan. You have denied God. You want nothing more to do with him. Concerning whom I have said there is no forgiveness in this world, nor in the world to come, having denied the Holy Spirit after having received it, and having denied the only begotten Son of the Father, having crucified him unto themselves, and put him to an open shame. These are they who shall go away into the lake of fire and brimstone with the devil and his angels, and the only ones on whom the second death shall have any power. Now, there's a new term, uh, the second death. Let's go ahead and look at that. Let's look at what Alma the Younger, we've been talking a lot about Alma the Younger. He has a lot of insight for us on angels. Um, he's seen both sides, that's why. So the second death, back to Zeezrom, Alma chapter 12, verses 16 and 17, trying to understand what the second death is. Alma chapter 12, verse 16, and now behold, I speak unto you, I say unto you, then cometh a death, even a second death, which is a spiritual death. The first death is a death as to this body, this mortal body. Then is a time that whosoever dieth in his sins as to a temporal death shall also die a spiritual death. He shall, he shall die as to things pertaining unto righteousness. Then is the time when their torments shall be as a lake of fire and brimstone. Now, do you see the language that Alma is using here? It's the same exact language that, that Joseph and Sidney use to describe the devil and his angels or those sons of perdition. So this is not just talking about people who... who are blinded by the craftiness of men in this life and who don't enter into covenant with Jesus Christ. This is talking about a whole separate group of people, the sons of perdition, those who will never receive forgiveness, those who, forgiveness, those who completely reject God. Verse 17, again, Alma 12. This is the time when their torment shall be as a lake of fire and brimstone, whose flame ascendeth up forever and ever, and then is the time when they, 
The sons of perdition shall be chained down to an everlasting destruction according to the power and captivity of Satan, he having subjected them according to his will. This literally is a spiritual death. It is the death, the beginning of the end for you. You will die. This second death is entropy. You will no longer have an existence in this universe. You will be, your, your spirit Your spirit will die and the elements that make up your spirit will be taken down and ground down and, and put back into their natural habitat. The second death is entropy. No additional light of Christ is added to you when your spirit dies. Back to DNC 76. DNC 76, verse 38. Yea, verily the only ones who shall not be redeemed in the due time of the Lord after the sufferings of his wrath. You will never, they will never be redeemed. Never. So what, let's look, all of this son of perdition and Lucifer and what does this look like? How does this take place? How does this happen? What does this look like in a real life setting? Well, again, back to Alma, Alma 45. Uh, this is after the translation of Alma. Alma has been taken up to heaven, as they suppose, as it says in Alma 44, I believe. Alma 45, verses 20 through 24. Now, this is the setup. For we're going to be looking at Amalekiah, and he is a type and a shadow for Lucifer, for how Lucifer became Lucifer. Alma 45, verses 20 through 24. This is the setup. This is what's going on. And now it came to pass in the commencement of the 19th year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, that Helaman, now Alma has just put Helaman in charge of of everything that Helaman went Helaman went forth among the people to declare the word unto them remember the word is Christ for behold because of their wars with the Lamanites and the many little dissensions and disturbances which had been among the people it became expedient that the word of God should be declared among them yea and that a regulation should be made throughout the church in other words throughout this time Entropy has has taken hold of the Church of Christ, and it has caused the Church of Christ to lose a lot of those plain and precious truths. And Helaman goes out to to rectify the situation and to bring the saints back together to enter into covenant with the Lord. Verse 22, Alma 45. Therefore, Helaman and his brethren went forth to establish the church again. In all the land, yea, in every city throughout all the land which was possessed by the people of Nephi. And it came to pass that they did appoint priests and teachers throughout all the land over all the churches. So they're setting things in order once again. Alma the Younger came and set things in order. There was entropy, and now they're doing the same thing again. It doesn't take very long, and this, this is a good example of how it doesn't take very long for entropy to grab hold of the church. And bring it down. Verse 23. And now it came to pass that after Helaman and his brethren had appointed priests and teachers over the churches, that there arose a dissension among them. 
and they would not give heed to the words of Helaman and his brethren. So we see a separation occurring, a dissension. We see people who want to enter into covenant and and follow Jesus Christ. And we see this other group of people who, who don't want that. And that is setting up for what happens with the Malachiah. But they grew proud. These are the dissenters being lifted up in their hearts because of their exceedingly great riches. Therefore, they grew rich in their own eyes and would not give heed to their words to walk uprightly before God. So we have a portion of people who are separating themselves because of their pride. They're separating themselves from the true church of, of Christ who no longer want to enter into covenant with him. Now, this sets it up for what happens with Amalekiah in Al. Let's go to Alma 46, the next chapter, Alma 46, verses 1 through 11. And it came to pass that as many as would not hearken to the words of Helaman and his brethren were gathered together against their brethren. And now behold, they were exceedingly wroth insomuch that they were determined to slay them. So this group of people that was once part of the true church of Christ, and had had been taught in the ways of Jesus Christ and had been taught in the ways of the prophets and the scriptures and had been taught what the new and everlasting covenant truly was, they now have a desire to slay the true saints of God. Verse three. Now the leaders of though the leader of those who were wroth against their brethren was a large and a strong man, and his name was Amalekiah. And Amalekiah was desirous to be a king. And those people who were wroth were also desirous that he should be their king. And they were the greater part of them, the lower judges of the land. And they were seeking for power. Now, what did, if Amalekiah is a type and a shadow for Lucifer, what was it that Lucifer sought? Well, he, he sought power for himself. And he went around and he gathered up many of the hosts of heaven, okay? This is, and, and those became the sons of precision. Amalekiah is doing the exact same thing. He desires power and he goes and he seeks judges in the land. And let's see what he tells them. Verse five, and they, these are the judges, had been led by the flatteries of Amalekiah, that if they would support him and establish him to be their king, that he would make them rulers over the people. Now, isn't this exactly what Satan desires of us? He desires with his angels to rule over us. He does not want to make us free. He desires to bring us down into captivity, which is the opposite of what Jesus Christ does. And it's interesting to note here that in the kingdom of the Lord, that all are equal, that there are none, there is none greater than the next. There is not a there is there there is not one who desires to rule over us. Jesus Christ makes us free. Now, in the kingdom of the devil, on the other hand, there is one ruler, and it is Satan himself. He desires to oppress us all and rule over us. Okay, verse six again. Uh, or verse six. Thus they were led away by Amalekiah to dissensions notwithstanding the preaching of Helaman and his brethren, yea, notwithstanding their exceedingly great care over the church, for they were high priests over the church. And there were many in the church who believed in the flattering words of Amalekiah, 
Therefore, they dissented even from the church. And thus were the affairs of the people of Nephi exceedingly precarious and dangerous, notwithstanding their great victory, which they had had over the Lamanites and their great rejoicings, which they had had because of their deliverance by the hand of the Lord. Thus we see how quick the children of men do forget the Lord their God. Yea, how quick to do iniquity and to be led away by the evil one. Yea, and we also see the, that the great wickedness one very wicked man can cause to take place among the children of men. Yea, we see that Amalekiah, because he was a man of cunning device and a man of many flattering words, doesn't this just sound like Satan? Think about what Satan did to Eve in the Garden of Eden and to Adam. Yea, we see that in verse 10, yea, we see that Amalekiah, because he was a man of cunning device and a man of many flattering words, that he led away the hearts of many people to do wickedly. Yea, and to seek to destroy the church of God and to destroy the foundation of liberty, which God had granted unto them, or which blessing God had sent upon the face of the land for the righteous sake. And now it came to pass that when Moroni, who was the chief commander of the armies of the Nephites, had heard these dissensions, he was angry with Amalickiah. Now, Moroni there being a type and a shadow for Christ, Amalickiah being a type and a shadow for Satan. Let's skip to the end of Alma 46 and find out what happens here. Alma Alma 40 or Alma 47, excuse me. Alma 47 verse 36. Now these dissenters having the same instruction and the same information of the Nephites, yea, having been instructed in the same knowledge of the Lord they received all the same things that the Nephites received. Again, now these dissenters, this is Amalickiah and his wicked men. This is Satan and his wicked men. How did they become wicked? How did they fall from glory? Now these dissenters, having the same instruction and the same information of the Nephites, the people of God, yea, having been instructed in the same knowledge of the Lord, nevertheless, it is strange to relate not long after their dissensions, they became more hardened and impotent and more wild, wicked and ferocious than the Lamanites, drinking in with the traditions of the Lamanites, giving way to indolence and all manner of lasciviousness, yea, entirely forgetting the Lord their God. Is this not exactly what happened with Lucifer and his angels? They had received the baptism of fire, gift of the Holy Ghost. They had received second comforter experiences. And one wicked man, Lucifer, led them out, led them out and led them down to destruction, to captivity. So there we see a type and a shadow, a real life situation for what happened with, with Lucifer and the sons of perdition, how they fell. And we see it in Amalickiah and and the judges in the time of Helaman, son of Alma. Okay, back to DNC 76. DNC 76, verse 39. For all the rest shall be brought forth by the resurrection of the dead through the triumph and the glory of the Lamb who was slain, who was in the bosom of the Father before the worlds were made. So everyone else, the telestial, the terrestrial, the celestial beings, all the rest shall be brought forth by the resurrection of the dead, except except for perdition and sons of perdition, which we just read about. 
verse 40 in DNC 76. And this is the gospel, the glad tidings, which the voice out of the heavens bore record to us. Now that's what he's referring to as the verse before the resurrection of the dead, that he came into the world, even Jesus to be crucified for the world and to bear the sins of the world and to sanctify the world and to cleanse it from all unrighteousness that through him all might be saved whom the father had put into his power and made by him who glorifies the father and saves all the works of his hands except those sons of perdition who deny the son after the father has revealed him wherefore he saves all except them they shall go away into everlasting punishment which is endless punishment which is eternal punishment to reign with the devil and his angels in eternity where their worm dieth not the worm meaning that the the tendencies of the natural man will never be satiated their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched which is their torment now that verse we're talking about endless everlasting and endless and eternal what does all of that mean? Everlasting punishment, endless punishment, eternal punishment. What really is that? It's easy to read those words and kind of brush over them quickly and say, well, okay, that means eternal punishment, um, whatever that means. Let's understand what this really means. Everlasting, eternal, and endless punishment. What is all this? To understand that, let's go to DNC 19. Verses 10 through 12, starting in verse 10, DNC 19. For behold, the mystery of godliness, how great it is. There's the word mystery again. We can talk about that for a second. How are mysteries revealed to us? Well, they're revealed to us again by revelation. We're, we are reading the mysteries in DNC 76. Verse 10, for behold, the mystery of godliness, how great it is. For behold, I am endless. This is a title of Jesus Christ. I am endless, and the punishment which is given from my hand is endless punishment, for endless is my name. Wherefore, eternal punishment is God's punishment. Endless punishment is God's punishment. Okay, that should be clear now what the Lord is saying in verse 44 of DNC 76, that this punishment that they took upon themselves is God's punishment to them. And what does that look like? Okay, verse 20 in DNC 19 tells us what that looks like. What is that? What is it really? Wherefore, I command you again to repent, lest I humble you with my almighty power, and that you confess your sins, lest you suffer these punishments of which I have spoken, of which in the smallest, yea, even in the least degree, you have tasted at the time I withdrew my spirit. So that is what we get the answer there. That is what these punishments are. You do not have access to the spirit of Christ. You do not have access to his light and his love and his glory anymore. That's what we're talking about here. That is what this punishment is. He withdraws his spirit from you. Back to DNC 76. DNC 76, verse 45. About wrapping it up here. And the end thereof, neither the place thereof, neither their torment, no man knows. Why does no man know? Now, 
it's because there is no way back. Once you head down that path, once you decide that you no longer want God and you've received, you've ascended to a certain level, received the baptism of fire and the gift of the Holy Ghost, there is no way back. You cannot go back. You choose spiritual suicide. You've made that choice. You would rather die than follow God. Verse 46. Let's read verse 45 one more time so we have it in context. And the end thereof, neither the place thereof, nor their torment, no man knows. Neither was it revealed, neither is, neither will be revealed unto man, except to them who are made partakers thereof. You only know how horrible this is if you actually enter, if you actually do this, if you actually fall from, 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 from grace, if you actually fall from your position of, of redemption with Jesus Christ. Verse 47, nevertheless, I, the Lord, show it by vision unto many, but straightway shut it up again. In other words, I will show it to Joseph and Signy, but it's so terrible that they're not going to want to look at it, so I shut it up. Verse 48, wherefore the end, the width, the height, the depth, and the misery thereof, they understand not. Neither any man except those who are ordained unto this condemnation. That's an interesting word. Who ordains you to this condemnation? Well, none other than Satan himself. If the Lord ordains you his angel, then Satan as well places his hands on you and ordains you his angel, if that is the choice you want to make. Verse 49, and we heard the voice saying, write the vision. For lo, this is the end of the vision of the sufferings of the ungodly. Okay, so now we switch gears again. We have another transition. Okay, we have been talking about perdition and the sons of perdition. And now we're going to make a, a transition into another part of this vision. Verse 50, and again, we bear record for we saw and heard. And this is the testimony of the gospel of Christ concerning them who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. So now we've learned about the resurrection of the unjust. Now we're going to learn about, they are seeing in vision, the resurrection of the just and who will come forth in that resurrection. And what is the resurrection of the just? Well, who is it that is just? It is none other than Jesus Christ. So we are going to be learning about who will come forth in the resurrection of Christ and what exactly that is. Now, this next portion, this is ascension. This is going up that grand staircase of the heavens. This is what that looks like. This is the path that those first class of people that we read about, Lucifer and the sons of perdition, this is the path that those people first had to take before they fell. They all took this path and fell to where they were, the ungodly. As, as it says in verse 49. So what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? We read about that in verse 50. Uh, we saw and heard, and this is the testimony of the gospel of Christ concerning them who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. What is the gospel of Christ? Well, it is the new covenant. That's all it is. It is literally as simple as that. It is entering into covenant with Jesus Christ. It is having faith on him, faith unto repentance to where you no longer have a checklist of items that men have given you to do. 
you enter into covenant with Jesus Christ and you take your marching orders from him. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the new and everlasting covenant. And it really is as simple as that. Let's go to verse 51. And they are they who received the testimony of Jesus. Now, let's figure out what that is. What is the testimony of Jesus? Um, let's go before we finish. Well, let's read the whole scripture and then we'll go and understand what the testimony of Jesus is. They are they. It's talking about those who come forth in the resurrection of the just. They are they who received the testimony of Jesus and believed on his name and were baptized after the manner of his burial, being buried in being buried in the water in his name. And this is according to the commandments which, to the commandment which he has given. This is new covenant language. Now, let's try and understand what the testimony of Jesus is. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. This is John the Revelator, John the Beloved. Let us be glad and rejoice, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Who is him? Well, we only give honor to Jesus Christ and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is done and his wife hath made herself ready. Who is the wife? Well, it's us. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Who are the saints again? Who, how are we made clean? It's through Jesus Christ. And what is that process? What does that look like? Well, it is the reception of the baptism of fire and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 9, and he saith unto me, John the Beloved, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are true sayings of God. Okay, we've got this motif that he's setting up of, of the wise virgins and the foolish virgins. And he's talking about the wise virgins. Blessed are they who are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him, Jesus Christ. And he, Jesus Christ, said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. Do you remember I was talking about all are equal in the kingdom of God? We serve shoulder to shoulder with Jesus Christ. We bring people to him. I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. He's giving glory to his father right here. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So there we understand. We read in verse 51 of the NC 76. They are they who received the testimony of Jesus. Well, what is the testimony of Jesus? Well, John the Revelator tells us right there. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And what is the spirit of prophecy? It is receiving revelation and acting on that revelation. It is entering into the new covenant. Receiving the testimony of Jesus is hearing his voice. It is hearing the revelation that Jesus has for us. If you hear my testimony, you hear my voice. If you hear the testimony of Jesus, you hear his voice. It is receiving revelation and you have to enter into the new covenant in order to hear his voice. Verse 52, that by keeping the commandments, the new covenant they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying out of hands of him who is ordained and sealed under this power. Now, let's, um, let's hold off here. We're going to turn this into a 
two or three part series about DNC 76. Um, but this is where we are. Verse 52 is where we are in our journey right now, that by keeping the commandments, they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who is ordained and sealed unto this power. This is entering into the new covenant. This is coming to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. This is following his doctrine. This is having faith on his name and exercising faith unto repentance and changing, experiencing that mighty change of heart within ourselves and and coming to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit in all times and in all places and in saying, Lord, I offer up everything to you. I don't care how difficult it is It is going to be for me. I don't care if it causes ridicule and public humiliation. I don't care what I have to do. I will do it and I will follow you. That's what we're talking about here. That's what verse 52 is talking about here. That is where we are in our own journey. And it is my testimony that as we follow Jesus Christ and enter into covenant with him, that he blesses our lives more than we can possibly even hope for. As I have entered this covenant, he's blessed the life of me and my family more than I have ever imagined. And I know these things to be true. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.